Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4, looking at just one verse, kind of tying up the summary of the seven churches as well with this verse. And you can also turn to John chapter 10 and put a marker there. John chapter 10 and put a marker there. I want to start with a quote from an old voice that is probably familiar to some of you if you have listened to the radio program Through the Bible Ministries with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. This is a quote that comes from him. He says, This is God's universe, and He does things His way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. (laughs) Is there a spare universe lying around in the theoretical multiverse that someone can claim? No. This is God's universe. And He does things His way. You may truly believe that you have a better way, but you don't have a universe. The question then is, how do you live in harmony with God in His universe? Let's look to God's Word. Revelation 4, verse 1 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. John 10, 7 through 10. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would instruct our hearts through your Spirit's power, working through me as your servant. Teach your people what you would have them know this morning. Enable them to apply it to their lives, to their minds, to their hearts, uh, Lord, and to live by your power. For life comes through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So how do you live in harmony with God in His universe? What does Jesus consistently say to all the seven churches? There are two things. The first thing He says is to conquer. Conquer what, you say? Conquer the power of evil. Well, we have never conquered the power of evil. We have failed in that category. We have failed in that endeavor, starting with our first parents who were who had original righteousness, Adam and Eve. The opportunity was set before them. They could have shunned evil and overcame it, but they partook of it. And once they did, sin entered into the world through them, specifically through Adam, and then death through sin, just as God had said it would take place. Death entered through sin. And so the issue, again, is overcoming evil. 
conquering evil. How? Martin Luther rightly states in the lyrics of his song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says, For still our ancient foe, talking about Satan, doth seek, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, which means he will not relent, he will not show mercy, he will simply keep coming and coming and coming relentlessly. So armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. So did we in our own strength confide, Luther states, our striving would be losing. We would not conquer, we would not overcome, we would not gain the victory in and of our own strength. And that has been proven through human history. That we have fallen short, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that means what God requires of us which is perfect obedience, living a life of holiness, being holy as He is holy, that we might be in right relationship with Him. So how can you conquer something you, have not had, you do not have the power to defeat? You put your faith in one mightier than you are. You put your faith in one who is mightier than evil. You put your faith in God's Son. Jesus Christ. So Luther continues, Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. We need to understand that the word Sabaoth there is not a verb, that is a noun. And that points to Jesus being the, the uh, Lord of the heavenly hosts. He is the Lord over all the armies of heaven. He is the captain of over all. And so it shows His divine power and authority. And he, he continues, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo or destroy us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. You know how Satan works? against you he entraps you he'll lead you and seduce you into sin and then once you sin he'll turn around and accuse you and reveal your guilt before God and so the question is well what's that one little word that Luther's thinking of that can defeat Satan that word is liar I remember Ken Davis, uh, the comedian Ken Davis, one time he was going to receive a reward for his, his funny ways that he looks at Scripture. And while he was on stage, he has this habit of leaning back on his chair. You know, maybe some of you have that habit too, but he kind of like, he probably should have had a rocking chair up there. But he likes leaning back on his chair, and he didn't realize that not all four legs were on the platform, that one of them was kind of off. And so he went back to lean, and they were just about ready to announce his name, and he fell off the back of the platform, just straight down, hands and feet in the air. It was a sight. And he said, I got up and realized the blunder I had made, and that bony finger of the devil pointed at me. He said, see, you're worthless. See, you cannot honor God acting the way you do. 
And he pointed that bony finger to me at me, and, and Ken Davis says, and so I bit it. <laughs> you have to imagine who this guy is. He has no shame. The devil can accuse him of it. He still doesn't think he has it. Anyway, the point is, is that he knew who he was in Christ Jesus. And that the devil had nothing on him. He could not accuse him of anything and make it stick. Because Christ Jesus had removed his guilt from him. And covered him in his own righteousness through his blood. So, still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. And we do not tremble for the devil. One little word, liar, shall bring him down. Although Satan strives to accuse you before God regarding your guilt, Luther is simply relaying here what the Bible teaches regarding those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ Jesus. To redeem means that your pardon is paid for by the righteous blood of Christ who offered his holy life as payment for your sin. Satan likes to lie about your condition before God and point out your sins. But through the blood of Christ, your sins are paid for and covered, and you're righteous in God's sight. So, this salvation is not acquired, it is received by faith. Your response and mind to Jesus should always be one of faith and fruit. Faith refers to trusting in Jesus, especially what he says to you, and fruit refers to putting what Christ says to you into practice. That's what's going on in the rest of this letter. He talks first about conquering. Then he says, he who has ears, what? Let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. That's not talking about physical ears. That's talking about the, the ability to receive what he says and put it into practice. Put it to work. Because it is the Holy Spirit who is working in your life. We have to understand this. This is not simply talking about audibly hearing what, what the words of God from Scripture. Anybody can do that. It's the Holy Spirit taking God's Word, putting it into your mind and into your heart, and, and using it to transform your life. And that transformed life goes out this way. It's fruit. It produces joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Self-control. That comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in you, working outwards, producing fruit that benefit and bless others around you. You see Jesus talking about this in Revelation 2, verse 7. Each one of the churches, just as He talks about conquest, He also talks about listening, hearing, and, and fruit, producing, being obedient so Revelation 2, verse 7, verse 11, verse 17, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 6, verse 13, and verse 22, the same word is consistently used in each of these, uh, regarding each of these churches, and it's the Greek word uh, akusato. Akuo is the normal word for hearing. Akusato has the idea of hearing and obeying, heeding God's word. You know, if you go to a doctor, because you feel ill and you want to know what's, what's causing it and the doctor examines you and, and after he give, run, gives you his diagnosis, he says, well, you have a virus infection. You need to take uh, X amount of these uh, antibiotics 
uh, each and every day. Here's the bottle. Take them until they're done. You can do one of two or three things there. You can listen to him and actually do what he says. But that's trusting in his word. That's trusting in his counsel. That you believe that what he says is right and beneficial to you. And you need to do this. So you're putting your trust in what he says. And that trust translates into action. You take the the antibiotics each and every day until they are gone because you believe the counsel of the doctor that this will heal you. Or you can simply put the, the pills up on the shelf and forget about it. You heard what the doctor said. Maybe your spouse comes over and says, didn't you hear what the doctor said? Well, of course I heard what the doctor said, but what does he know? Because you don't trust him. You don't trust his counsel. You think you know better than he does. And therefore, in your opinion, why do I have to take these stupid pills? I'll be fine in time, so I don't need it. Or, kind of the half and half, half truth, half halfway type thing where you take a few of the pills, you start feeling a little better and think that's good enough. And then you put them on the shelf. Why? Because again, you know better than the doctor does. You've listened to him. You've followed through, but not completely. So if, you re- if Jesus counsels all these three churches, all these churches, excuse me, with the statement, He who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you trusting today? Are you trusting and obeying the counsel of the Lord through His Holy Word? Are you trusting His counsel, His Word, and putting it into practice in your life today? Are you trusting in the promises of Christ your King, that through Jesus you are justified before God. Romans 5, verse 1. Washed and sanctified in the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. You are made holy and blameless through Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1, verse 4. You are dearly loved by God. Colossians 3, verse 12. There are many other promises in the Bible and they are all fulfilled Through Christ Jesus. Are you trusting in God's promises? All these promises that the Apostle proclaims in these verses point to the promise Christ Jesus made declaring who He is. Especially in verse 9 of John chapter 10. If you look there, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through Me will be saved. There's not a might there, is there? There's not a may there, is there? It's will. It will happen. Whoever believes in Me will be saved. Whoever enters through Me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. When John records what Jesus is saying here, he uses the Greek word thura. Thura, for gate, which also can be translated as door. It's the same word used in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. When John lifts up his eyes and he looks into heaven and there's an open 
door before him. But we need to understand what that door is. The significance of this word that is used here. The door that's standing open is the word anoigo. Referring to the power to open something that was formerly closed. Uh, Maybe you think of a bank vault that no one can open and a safe cracker comes in and either blows it open or figures out the code to get in. It's not what we're talking about here. Something far more profound. This is used with Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. That's not simply just lifting up your eyelids and being able to see because you were asleep and now you're awake. He's talking about the condition of one who is blind. There is no way that light enters in from here through their eyes into their mind so that they can see what's outside of them. They cannot see. Their condition is that they're blind. Jesus opens their eyes. He opens their eyes. He changes their condition. He transforms the physiology of their, of their eyeballs so that they can actually see. That's what we're talking about here with this door being opened. It's a different status. It's a different condition. And we need to understand how God looks at doors and how we see doors. Oftentimes we see doors as you enter through one and go into another room and then you enter through another door and go into that room. We, we see it as a way of passage. God sees it a little bit differently. And so I want you to look at, at uh, Job chapter 38 verse 8 a moment. Job 38, verse 8. This is God addressing Job, representing man. And it helps us to see how God looks at doors or gates. In verse 8 of Job 38, God asked Job, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Now, we look at that and think, oh, how silly and quaint God's talking about a door. No, this illustrates how God views doors. He's trying to use something that we are familiar with so that we can understand the profundity of what God is doing. It's not simplistic here just to be simple. God is trying to address us in a way that we might understand something. And in this case, it's a matter of confining or holding something back behind something else. Genesis 7, verse 11, and and I believe that that, uh, God is referring to the great flood where the waters burst forth. Genesis 7, verse 11 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. The great deluge, the waters just flooded the earth. God is saying to Job that waters burst forth and covered the face of the earth. Who pushed these waters back into their place then? Who confined them so that there could be dry land again? That is God. The act of confining something or holding back the waters from overflowing the land is the work of God. And that is seen as putting it behind a door, containing it. Turn also in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah 5, 21 through 22, we see this allusion 
to uh, Jesus speaking to the churches regarding what you need to see and hear. This is God speaking to his people through his prophet Jeremiah. God says, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. The boundary is like a door for the Lord. Although this is an open setting, there's no literal door there. What we see is is God working on creation during the flood, and He's pushing down land in certain areas and raising up other land, and He's He's shaping, reshaping, and recreating the earth during the time of Noah. So that now these waters that have flooded all the earth are in deeper basins, and it's the shoreline that serves as a door that contains all this water so that the waters do not encroach upon the land again. It's a fearful thing. If you think about Noah back in the time, the door that was open for a while was to the ark. And when those flood waters came, when that door was shut, you had no hope. All you were going to face is the judgment of God unleashed upon you. Now God's talking about containment. This great judgment that fell upon the earth, I'm now going to contain, and He even contains it more through His Son, Jesus Christ, who takes upon his, Himself His Father's wrath on the cross to remove that threat from us. That's why when we look at John 10 and Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the door, I'm the one who contains my Father's wrath. It falls upon me so that it doesn't fall upon you. Instead of the cup of wrath that I drink, you drink the cup of blessing as you put your faith in me and entrust yourself to me. I change your condition. You were sinful. You were unrighteous in the sight of God. You deserved His judgment. But that judgment fell upon me, and my righteousness was then imputed to you. Received by faith. By faith means that you're not putting your faith in anything that you do. You're trusting solely in what God has accomplished for you through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And you daily rest in that provision. In that trust. Otherwise, you're one of the people who's on the outside of the ark, banging on the side of that boat, let me in. But the door is shut. And you are outside. And it's a picture again of being in the righteousness of Christ. What God has accomplished for us, the salvation that God has given us. The ark represents the body of Christ, the temple of God. And in Him we We are preserved. We are protected. We are saved. Outside of Christ, we have no hope at all. But in Christ, we have life and have it everlasting. And Jesus talks about that in the end. He talks about the thief. And and if you look at the beginning of John 10, he talks about those who try and enter into paradise another way by instead of going through the gate. And you know, in, in Eden, there was a gate at the end after... God kicked out Adam and Eve. He put his cherubim there who had flaming swords that turned every which way. And there was no 
millimeter of space you could go through to enter back into Eden. It was shut. It was closed off. That door is closed. And yet when you see John looking into heaven, what does he see? An open door. The word there has the sense of the power to force something open that was previously closed to you. And I think, beloved, about the temple. When Christ had lived His righteous life here in this world, when He had accomplished His ministry for three years, and He knew that His, His last station was at the cross to die for us, He went to that cross. He was crucified. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And finally He said, it is finished. And when He said that, the temple curtain, darkness came over the earth, but the temple curtain, which represents the cherubim who guard the path to God, that temple curtain was ripped in half from the bottom to the top showing that it is Jesus who had done this. God's Son who had done this. He had gained the victory for us. He had made a way for us to God that was never there before through His divine power working through His humble flesh. So all who place their faith in Christ Jesus, when we look to heaven, we don't see a door that is shut off to us that is closed, that confines us to this life. And I I think I need to use this illustration. I was debating it because it's kind of graphic. But the metaphor speaks volumes. The Romans, this is to show the power of sin in our lives and our true condition before God. The Romans uh, had had a procedure where they would bind or shackle a person to a corpse until the infirmities or diseases of that corpse would enter into the person who was alive, the prisoner, and they would simply slowly die from that corruption until they were finally dead. That is sin entering into the world and death through sin. It is our sin that binds us and, so, and it slowly destroys us because of its infirmity and its corruption until we're finally gone unless someone can break us free from those binds, bindings. Unless someone can break us free and, and save us from that condition. And that is Christ Jesus. And He did so by becoming sin for us. Think about that. The Holy One of, of God taking upon your sin, taking upon himself your sin and mine, becoming sin for us so that we might receive his righteousness and have access to God. Because when God looks upon you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son in whom he is well pleased. That is the door that is open to John where he now has access to God and can come with boldness before the throne of grace. You and I, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, as believers in Christ Jesus, have access to God. And the door that was once shut was opened.
through the saving grace and shed blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for who he is as our wonderful Savior.